Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to Life Point. Um, my name is Jared, like RC said, and he's not lying to you this morning. Everything he's told you is true up until this point, okay? So um, anyway, you're, you're probably maybe sitting here thinking, okay, communion and kingdom, how does that relate to prayer? How's that fit together a little bit? Well, first of all, Prayer is essential. It, it, you cannot commune with God unless you're praying, right? Unless I cannot commune with my wife unless I'm speaking with her, unless I'm spending time with her. And so prayer is essential for communion. And kingdom, as, you know, um, we, a couple of weeks ago we were looking at the Lord's Prayer and we began to see that as we pray, our prayers drive us not to be about our kingdoms, but God's kingdom. And so that's why we're calling this communion and kingdom. That's what this looks like. That's what prayer is pushing us toward. And if we are going to be a church that is going to be legitimately concerned about being an influence in our community, if we are going to be concerned about being an influence in Stewart's Creek and the surrounding areas, then we have got to be driven by prayer. We have got to be absolutely committed and defined by prayer. When the community looks at us, do they see a praying people? I know um, if, if the community looks at LifePoint, I know they do see some awesome things that God has done in this place over the years, like worship. I mean, our worship is alive. I, I, that's not bragging or boastful. That's just true. I, I've served at other churches and I always looked and man, it's awesome to be a part of what is going on here at LifePoint and to be able to step into a worship service and come back uh, here and to be a part of those. Uh, you know, that's, that's incredible. Our programs are great. There would be times where I would, uh, you know, uh, wasn't, I've just been here at the creek for a year, but before that, I, I would call and say, hey, what do you guys do for this? You know, your kids' program is awesome. Your student ministry is going great. What's going on? Why is it this way? Help me. Let's work together. Let's build this, you know. So there's some incredible things that when people look at LifePoint, they may say that. Um, but there's one thing, I think, that defines us in a way that it just permeates everything we do. And that is the call to send to send out and to live sent, to live like we are missionaries where we are. This is our DNA. This is our heart. This is the very call that God has placed upon this church that changed our core values, that changed many of our operating policies, because this is just the one thing that God has laid upon our heart. And this calling and this conviction is really impossible without prayer. It's impossible without God, because this calling, it exceeds my capability. It exceeds my capacity. I, I can't do this. We can't do this. We have to be dependent upon the Lord to reach this community, to share the gospel, to, to sh show people who Jesus is and, and why he is important, that he is Savior of all and Lord of all. We have to be that. We, we can never go out into this community and abandon our posture of prayer. And so that's why I think this series has just been really critical. It's just reset me. I, I know it's reset many of you. I hear these stories. I'm excited about kind of what's going on and, and, and how we are praying differently. What God is, how he is moving and kind of calling us and leading us in different directions. Um, and this tension between prayer and sending is just ongoing. And we're going to kind of see that in our passage as we move forward. But before we do that, let me kind of recap us where we've been. So as we've been praying, we've seen that the early church, they were dependent upon prayer. The first week, we just walked scripture after scripture after scripture in Acts, 
how they were dependent on prayer, what God was doing, and how that was fleshing itself out. And then uh, we, we, the next week, we looked at the Lord's Prayer. We pulled up, um, you know, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and we begin to look at how Jesus models prayer for us and why we should pray in those ways. And that turned our hearts toward the kingdom. That Remember, prayer is not about our kingdom. It is about God's kingdom. All right, and then last week we talked about persistence in prayer, why that is valuable, what that looks like, and we're challenged by that. And then this morning, I want us to see that our prayer isn't just an afterthought in Christian missions. Okay, our, our prayer is not an afterthought in Christian missions. Rather, it is the spark that ignites our sending. And so that's why our bottom line today is praying ignites sending. Praying ignites sending. And we'll see that in this passage. So how I want to address this passage, we're in Matthew chapter 9. We're verses 35 through 38. So the last four verses of Matthew 9. And so what I want to do is Jesus makes his big point in the last verse. So let's start at the end. And let me just show you the point. And then what we're going to do is walk back to the beginning of the verse, verse 35, and walk through phrase by phrase until we get to the end again, okay? So let me show you where we're going. Matthew chapter 9, verse 38 says this, Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So in this verse, it is clear that Jesus calls us to pray that the Lord would send, right? We should send. This is a, this is, I'm, I'm going to jump to the punchline a little bit here, but this is not just a suggestion. This is the Lord commanding. This is an imperative. He commands us to go, or he commands us to pray. Pray earnestly that laborers would be sent out into the Lord's harvest, right? This is, he's king over all. So this is where we're going, and I think this is kind of backed up. Uh, by every, uh, by many things we see in Scripture, right? So you see in Acts, we see these great movements of God beginning in prayer. We see Acts chapter 10. Peter's up on his roof and he's praying to the Lord. And, and um, then the Lord reveals to him that, that the gospel should not stay with the Jews. That it must go to all nations, it has to go forth, and that it is important for the world to hear this good news. Then in Acts 13, we see the church in Antioch, they're praying, and from that is the birth of this cross-cultural mission movement. And then let me fast forward to 2004 at LifePoint Church. In 2004 at LifePoint Church, I remember coming to LifePoint for the first time. I came on staff right after this as an intern. And I moved from East Tennessee, from a town of 1,500, to a church of 3,000 or whatever. <laughs> Culture shock, right? And then I remember coming into this huge buzz. And I wasn't a part of this, but I just remember people talking about this over and over. It was just excitement, which jazzed me up. And I was ready to go as I hit the ground running. But, but um, in 2004, God called us to fast and to pray as a church. And from that time of prayer and fasting... The Lord called us out to be a sending church. Right? So these great movements of God, they begin in prayer. And it, it has to be. How can we know the will of God if we are not speaking to him? And so praying ignites sending. And we kind of see this tension, prayer and sending, play out time and time again in this passage. We act, or excuse me, we pray and then we act, don't we? We seek God first so that 
When we seek the needs of others, we do it in his name. We do it in his name. If we just go out and we start doing good works and these things and that, the tendency is for us to gain the glory. But if we have prayed and we have asked the Lord to send us out as laborers, we go in his name with his glory in mind and his gospel in hand. So, prayer, praying, ignites sending. So, what I want to do before we really walk through the entire passage, I want to set us up, okay? I think it's a critical, this passage sits in a very critical piece in the book of Matthew. We're kind of right smack dab, you know, and, and sort of in the middle, sort of. And from this is kind of a hinge pin that opens up into um, what we see Jesus' greater plan to be. So let me walk you kind of through what's happening. We see a logical progression of Jesus' life and ministry up until this point in time in Matthew chapter 9. So we see Matthew 1 and 2, his story of his birth. We read it every Christmas. We celebrate it, right? Matthew chapter 3, he's an adult. Um, he's baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. In Matthew chapter 4, we see immediately after his baptism, he walks into temptation. He is tempted by Satan himself for 40 days in the, in the desert. You know, we see this begin to happen. He is victorious over Satan and still stands victorious today. Amen. And then he walks straight from that out to call his disciples. And so he begins to say, Matthew, James, John, you guys, drop everything. Forget everything and come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And so he begins to pull these guys and, and gather his disciples up. And then once his disciples are gathered, we see in 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew that he is up on a, uh, a mountain. He's praying, or excuse me, preaching out to his disciples and to those who are gathered around this Sermon on the Mount, the largest sermon we have where Jesus challenges us, lays out truths in ways that people had never heard. And because he can. He is the Savior. He is Lord, right? And so then we see immediately after that that he continues on in Matthew 8 and 9. He begins to teach and continue that teaching as he walks through villages and cities, which we'll see in a second. As he walks through villages and cities, he's teaching. He's proclaiming the gospel. And then he is healing. And we see many healings take place. Jesus meeting physical and spiritual needs. Jesus um, being mindful of how God created us physical and spiritual, right? And so, then we come to this hinge point of Matthew chapter 9. Up until this point, it's Jesus doing it all. And then we see the pray earnestly that laborers would be sent out into the harvest because the harvest is plentiful. And then in Matthew chapter 10, he sends out laborers. So the immediate, the immediate next few verses after the verses we will read, we see people sent we see people sent out under the empowerment of Jesus Christ, under the authority of God himself, taking the gospel out. So, all that to say, that's where we are. And this is why this is a hinge point and a critical piece of the book of Matthew. So let's look, let's read Matthew 9, 35 through 38, and see what God would have for us. Verse 35, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. 
So, we were uh, talking recently at a church with city officials here in Smyrna and, and just kind of get a groundwork for what's happening in Smyrna, where, what's, what are we expecting to happen in Smyrna, things like that, right? And so we were told that uh, approximately, there are approximately 50,000 residents in the town of Smyrna right now, around 100,000 in Murfreesboro right now. And then they go on to say, based upon recent studies and things that they've done, that they expect this area of Middle Tennessee, this Middle Tennessee area in general, all the outlying areas and everything, that there would be more or around, excuse me, around a 1 million new residents in the coming years, like as in the next 20 years, okay? Now, you hear that number, and I need to get some of you off of Monday, because right now you're bitter and angry about Sam Ridley, and you're like, how are we going to fit that many more people on Sam Ridley? I can't even get to a restaurant. But we're still on Sunday morning, so let's not get there yet, okay? Let's just back. And, and let's think about it in, in terms of the gospel, Right now, what we know is that there are approximately around 15% of the town of Smyrna that are, and I'm going to put this in quotes, that are in church. Only 15%. And the Lord would bring a million here in the coming years? Does that mean 850,000 more lost people or does it mean 900,000 more lost people? What does this mean, God? We begin to see that this is greater than our capacity and greater than our abilities. And so that's why we must pray. This is why we must pray. This is what God is calling us to. To call us to pray. Because what we look at and we think of is just, are you kidding me? We think of the inconvenience of this. But no, this is an opportunity that many more from around the world would move to Nashville and that we could share the gospel with them. That they are sheep without a shepherd. And yet we know the shepherd. We can show them. This is an opportunity. What does this mean for our church? What does this mean? You know, we begin to throw out some questions I think about this and I begin to think about, okay, all the people that need to be reached, all the things that need to be due, all the needs that need to be met. And it's just like, oh, wow, the mission's too big, the costs are too great. And so we pray and we seek answers for questions like, what's the church going to do about that? Well, where do we even start? And most importantly, who's even going to do this? But the truth is we have a passage of scripture that I think answers those questions. So let's look at them and see what God would have us, where he would use us, and how he would use us. So let's go to verse 35. And let me reread this so we can reset our minds on what is being said. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So, what we see here is, as the story picks up, is that Jesus was going throughout, right? In other words, he didn't wait for people to come to him. He lived sent. He was a missionary. He was on intentional gospel-centered, gospel purpose, no matter where he went. Whether that was Stewart's Creek High, 
or whether that was Nashville downtown at your job. Wherever it went, he lived sin, and he is the model of this for our church. All right? We are a church of five campuses. Smyrna, Stewart's Creek, Murfreesboro, Bangkok, Thailand, Brussels, Belgium. And see, here's the beautiful thing. You all don't live in Stewart's Creek. Not all of you live here. Not all of you work here. In fact, I don't know many of you who do work here. Because this is just a, 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 a community of residents. You live and you work all in these outlying areas, don't you? And so we as a church, we gather to worship and we go to reach. We gather to worship and we go to reach. And that's one of the beautiful things about what God is doing, what Jesus is doing here. He was going throughout all the cities and the villages. So he was in Rockville and he was in Las Casas and he was in Walter Hill. And then he came over here to uh, Lebanon and then he went to downtown Nashville. He was everywhere. Wherever he went, wherever he had to go, he went with the gospel in hand. And we know that because of the next phrase, right? And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He went first and foremost with these things. I will teach the truth. I will state the truth. And I will let you know there is a Savior. He has been born and he is alive right now. All right? There's, there's, I am here. The Savior has arrived. He's proclaiming the good news. And good news, right? We share it. I can remember um, I was golfing one day. And I came back to work um, with, I was golfing with some of our, our, um, our um, congregation. They wanted to go. I said, okay, I'll go with you. And I came back to work. And I was working part-time at that point. And, was, and so I came back in, and my wife was there. She oversaw our, our child um, care stuff. All our, you know, after school care and all those sorts of things. And I'm walking between the two buildings of the church we were at. And she stopped me. And a smile lit up her face. And she said, Jared, I'm pregnant. And this was just good news. My face hurt. I smiled so much, you know? You know what I'm talking about? And when you get that promotion at work and those big things happen, that's good news. And when you sign that dotted line for your first house, you are pumped. And yet, we will share those things. And we will not share eternal good news. Let me tell you what. I sold my first house. I don't even think about it anymore. But my Savior, he has, he has got me for eternity. He has me for eternity. And this is something that, am I sharing it? Is this, is, am I proclaiming the gospel as I go to the villages and to the cities? Let me encourage you guys for a second. I want to say that the gospel is not any sweeter off the lips of a pastor than it is off the lips of a coworker or a neighbor. The gospel is sweet. Scripture says it's sweeter than honey. And, and it doesn't matter who is stating it because the truth, the truth will set us free. And so it doesn't matter who is stating it. And the issue is that so many Christians who have heard this gospel and were saved by this gospel have forgotten this gospel and never speak of it again. 
are we sharing the gospel in the cities and the villages? Are we? Are we doing that? Because we are sent people, right? Sent by Jesus to make disciples. And as we are going, as we are being sent, this is where prayer fits into sending. Are we continually, persistently, consistently praying, God, open my eyes to see the people that I can share the gospel with. And Lord, give me the guts to do it because I am scared and weak. Are we praying these things because praying ignites sending? Praying ignites sending. David Platt says that the ultimate issue is not where you live. It's if you're obedient. The ultimate issue is not where you live. It's if you are obedient. And as we kind of continue on this passage, and, and we need to look at the next phrase in verse 35. We, we see where Jesus is teaching. We see where he's going first and foremost with the gospel in hand. But we also see that he is healing every disease and affliction. Now, I, I need to, to be honest with you. I don't know anyone who has the gift of healing. I've never seen that happen. I'm not saying it couldn't, but I'm also, I've never seen that worked out. I, I don't, I, I've been in a lot of churches. I've been around a lot of places, you know, and I, I don't see that. I don't think it necessarily plays out like these TV evangelists play it out to look like. In fact, I, I think this verse and this specific word is leaning us in a different direction. Because I, I think what this means practically and this, what this, ver, this word specifically means is to meet the needs of those around us as opportunities arise. Specifically, ministering or staying with a person until they are restored. Are we ministering? Are we staying with people until they are restored to whatever condition that may be? Whatever that means, whatever need that may, that may be that needs to be met? And see, Jesus, was, he was going throughout the cities and villages. He was taking care of issues as they were brought to his attention. Hey, Jesus, I can't walk. Can you make me walk again? Lord, I cannot see. And he makes the blind to see. Lord, I am unclean. And yet he changes the leper to be white as snow. He is clean again, right? And so the next time your neighbor slides into the ditch during the snow apocalypse, right? And you look across the street and mud's flying. Um, or the kid down the street bursts into your house and starts raiding your fridge and nobody invited them over. Or students, the next time you're in the cafeteria and you look around and that kid has got his head on the table because that has been the worst day he's had. Or anytime the next person here at LifePoint says there's a need to be, needs to be met, we have got to rise to the occasion, church. We have got to do this. Not because uh, it, this is good for me and you, but because there is a kingdom at stake. There is, this is greater than us. This is greater than our ability. But we will not do these things if we are not praying because praying ignites our sending. Without prayer preceding them, our good works will not be in Jesus' name. Without prayer preceding them, our good works will not be in Jesus' name. They will be in our name oftentimes. We may not intend for that to be the case. But we won't go into that with the gospel first and foremost as we, as we serve that person. As we wait with that individual until they are restored. We will not speak of Jesus 
And so people will walk away and say, well, Jared, he's a pretty good dude, isn't he? But I want him to walk away and say, that Jesus, oh, he changed my life. Verse 36 says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and hopeless like sheep without a shepherd. See, this word compassion, I think, helps us unlock this verse a little bit. And so, in the Greek, it literally means like to be moved in the guts. To be moved in the bowels, in your stomach, you know. You've had those moments where things have hit you and it has hurt. You physically just want to vomit, don't you? Because of, of the need that you see that has arisen one time, I got a phone call. I was at a friend's house at a cookout. And, and a good friend of mine called me and said, Jared, so-and-so, another good friend of ours, they've had an affair. And in that moment, I wanted to throw up. I had compassion for that situation. I wanted to help. I wanted to do everything I could. I was moved in the guts for what had happened. So, notice when the compassion happens here. Notice when the compassion happens. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion. It wasn't, hey, dude, I, got, I have so much compassion for the Native Americans and the Lakota people that I want to go to South Dakota on a mission trip. I want you to send me there now. No, no, no. It was when he saw the crowds that he had this compassion. This was the big thing. Because these crowds, they were harassed and helpless. They were sheep without a shepherd. When I was a kid growing up, we had sheep. We had cows, we had sheep, we had lots of things like that. And the sheep, yeah, they weren't awesome, you know. <laughs> they, they, they stayed in a very specific pen so that they couldn't get out into the briars, get out into the woods and get lost. So they wouldn't become lamb chops before we wanted them to become lamb chops, Right? So, I, you know, sheep without a shepherd, they just wander. They get lost. They break legs. They, they get entangled into their sin, and they, they find no rescuer to pull them out. But one who has a shepherd has a rescuer, right? Has one who can pull them from the sin that has entangled their lifestyle, that has, that has drugged them so down, Right? And so when Jesus sees these people, he has compassion in his gut. He has this, this compassion that, that turns his stomach. And this compassion, it's a little different for us as Westerners to kind of get this idea of compassion. Because, you know, when Jesus uh, speaks of this compassion, the Jews, they get the idea pretty quick, right? But we're not, we don't live in that culture. We don't live in that. As Southerners, here's how we show compassion. You hear it in our slang, right? Oh, bless their heart. You know, I just, you like my girl voice, don't you? Sorry, I kind of cracked there. You know, you know, that's how we show compassion. That's how we speak of it. We don't say, oh, bless their bowels. You know, we don't, they shouldn't say that. Don't tie these two cultures together. Bad mistake, okay? All right, I don't want to get a call tomorrow. I told them to bless their bowels, but I don't, I don't know what happened, right? And so this compassion, uh, I want to show, tell you another story. I think how this kind of fleshes itself out. When we see people, how God gives us compassion for them. As he's going throughout the cities and villages, and this compassion strikes Jesus. When we were 
um, when I was serving in kids ministry, we had this great couple, Ed and Shirley. And I was serving in another church at the time. And Ed and Shirley, they were like this, this retired elderly couple on fire, okay? Like you wanted to be around Ed and Shirley because you had no idea what you're about to get into, but you knew it was going to be good, right? And, and so they came to me with this idea in this town we were living in. There was this uh, nice, like, apartment complex that was really filled with a lot of migrant workers because of the, the farms and stuff in the area. And so they said, we have a huge Hispanic community here. Let's reach out to them. God's called us to go to the nations. Let's go to them. So let's, let's go to them with Christmas. We're going to gather some toys, Jared. If you will put together a Christmas party for these families, what we'll do is we'll give away presents to these kids. Awesome. Who didn't want that? That'd be exciting, you know. I, I just thought this would be great. Okay, so I play in the games, and we all—I mean, people show up. It's crazy. We're in this room, and I'm sweating. You couldn't stand in an empty spot. There's so many people in there, and so we're playing these games and kind of into the party. I'm just doing my thing. I'm not really compassionate. God's not—I'm not like you know my my gut's not moved. I haven't you know anything like that. And so we get to the part where we give Christmas presents, and so. With kids, you don't mess around and play like Dirty Santa or something like that because somebody's going to be crying. So I put numbers in a hat, and you drew a number. And so number one got to go pick their Christmas present, and they got to keep it, okay? You don't know trading, none of that stuff, right? Nobody crying. It's got to be a good experience. So the kids start drawing numbers. And so I get to this one kid, and he's sitting next to his like three or four-year-old cousin. He's probably fourth or fifth grader. And uh, his cousin draws a number, and then this kid draws a number. And so those pieces of paper were, like, folded up together. And as he pulls the paper out of the hat, I, you know, like, they had kind of, the paper had kind of stuck together. And so as that paper gets out, I, I see one piece just fall to the ground. And it, as it kind of hit the ground, it opened up. And there it was. Glorious. Number one, right? <laughs> Big deal. And, and I'm standing over this kid, and I'm watching this all happen. He bends down, he picks that thing up, and he's got his numbers under the table so nobody can see them. You know, it's like poker or something. I don't know what's going on here. And, and I watch him, and he makes a decision. He takes that number. It was like number nine or something. And he puts it back in the hat, and he kept number one. I was about to bust him, right? There it is. No, you're going to have to redraw, buddy. And I couldn't because immediately he took that number. And he traded it with his cousin next to him. And in that moment, God broke me. I was stunned. I, I could, I, I literally like looked up and Ed and Shirley had no clue what was going on. And I was just broken for what God had done. Because he had shown me these sheep who were harassed and helpless and had no shepherd. And I had compassion for them he had given me compassion for them and I think that the key that this verse is relaying to us is that Jesus was moved as he went he was moved as he went and we often sit back and we say Lord give me a sign I'll go you give me a sign we need the warm fuzzy don't we we need the warm fuzzy to get up and go do that I don't need a warm fuzzy I got a calling that warm, fuzzy feeling leaves me in a moment, but that calling lasts for eternity. I have got a calling as a disciple of Jesus Christ to take the gospel to the nations. May nothing stop us of that. May nothing stop us of that. And, 
in that moment, I don't need a burning bush to get up and go serve the nations at Weary Housing here in Smyrna. I don't need a sign to go help in room at the inn. I don't need those things to happen for me to know that I need to get up and I need to meet those needs because God has called me to those things. But here's the deal. We must be praying as we go. As we go, as we are immersed with the people we are serving, God begins to give us this compassion. But if we go without prayer, then we go in our name oftentimes. We think it's under the banner of the church, but we often cloak it. It's it's for my glory, my kingdom. But if we are praying consistently, persistently, Lord, send laborers into the harvest. Lord, there are sheep without a shepherd. This compassion does not come naturally. This compassion is the product of prayer, and praying ignites sending. As Jesus saw the people and he was moved with this godly gospel compassion, we see verse 37. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Sounds like my childhood growing up on the farm, right? It's like, hey, we got all this work to do. Oh, hey, Jared, why don't you come do it with me? Right? <laughs> But Jesus is looking at the crowds and he turns his sights to his disciples and to all of us in this room. He says, hey guys, there's a lot of work to be done. And this work is beyond our capabilities, beyond our capacity. You can't do it alone. There are 850,000 plus people without a shepherd that will be moving to this area in the coming years. And you can't do it. But what I begin to do, I'm a systems dude. I build systems. I like to, hey, first responders team, first imp- whatever we need to do. I, yeah, let's make that. Hey, hey, we need a ministry fair because we got people and needs to meet. Let's, you guys start coming and serving. And those are all good things, but Jesus pumps the brakes. No, 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 no. Verse 38, Jesus pumps the brakes and says, because there are many, verse 38 says, therefore pray earnestly. To the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. First and foremost, whose harvest is it? It's not mine. It is the Lord's. He is the Lord over the harvest. This is his kingdom. He is building his kingdom to come. Not Jared's. And so therefore, this sovereign Lord, this this one who is doing these things, this one who will build the church, this one who is sovereign over all, says the most powerful thing in these verses. He commands us to pray earnestly. This isn't a suggestion. Jesus says with emphasis, pray earnestly with that compassion that I have given you, how I've turned your gut inside out. You are physically moved and spiritually moved for these people. And I know that this, this word for pray here, it's not just like the other words we see in the New Testament. This word is only used nine times in the New Testament. The word that Jesus says here means not to just call upon God, but it means to plead and to beg. Oh God, with all that you have in your power, please, there are many God who are coming. Would you save them? Would you save them, God? Praying ignites 
sending. And this prayer that Jesus is calling to is not a suggestion. It is a command. And if you kept reading in Matthew chapter 10, remember that this is exactly what happens. The disciples then, after praying, are sent forth. Empowered by Jesus Christ. Under the authority of God with the gospel in hand. To go to all the cities and villages. And preach Jesus as king. Are we? Are we doing those things? I'll have the band come out. As we're kind of wrapping it up. I just want to kind of build a. Ask a question of transparency for us this morning. I kind of have to ask myself this question this week. And then actually the, the weeks before. This has been a great, great point where the Lord has challenged me. With a show of hands, I'm going to ask you guys some questions. So I want you to respond literally. Put your hand up. How many of us know that as believers and disciples of Jesus Christ, God has called us? to go out into the nations, to go out where we are sent, to take the gospel and to preach that and to state that to our coworkers, our family, our friends. How many of us know that God has called us to do that very thing? Put your hands down. Now here's the next question, and you know where I'm going. How many of us, how many of us, we actually do that? we actually do that are we calling to the Lord of the harvest and say Lord send laborers out and let me be one of them because I know praying ignites sending I know these things oh Lord you some of you you say, well, Jared, I, I don't think that's my responsibility. I'm not a pastor. I, I'm not eloquent. I can't. Yeah, do you think I'm eloquent, right? Uh, I, I don't know these. I, 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 Jared, I can't. This isn't my responsibility. Let me push back. Was it Jesus' responsibility to take your sins that he didn't commit upon his shoulders and die upon the cross in your place? If our master, if our Lord makes something his purpose and we are his followers, then it is our purpose as well. It is our responsibility. This is our call. This isn't a warm fuzzy. This is our clear call from scripture, from our Lord himself to do, to go out into all the cities making disciples in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. The one who has all authority of the kingdom and the world that is has given us this call. And so what are we going to do with it? I pray that we would pray earnestly. That God would send laborers into his harvest. And let us be those laborers. Let us be those. Because I know praying ignites our sending. So join me. Let's pray and let us ask God for these things. Oh, Father, there is much work to be done. 
We look at the, the fields and they are ripe with harvest. We look at the people, their sheep just wandering around. They are lost without a shepherd. God, there's, there is so much to be done. And God, I pray that you would send laborers into the harvest. God, that you would move in our lives to, to take us to places we have never been. God, that you would send us out under the authority to re, under your authority to reach those who are lost sheep without a shepherd. God, we need you. God, we need you to do this work because it is beyond our capacity. God, we pray for the 900,000, the 850,000 that come to this area that do not know Jesus as Savior and Lord, that do not call him that. And we ask that you would move now before they even move here. That you would begin to move in our community. That you would use us to do as Jesus has done. Because we realize, God, apart from you, we have no chance of succeeding. Of giving you the glory you deserve. So as we commune with you today, we pray that you would convict our spirits. Convict us of specific people and names in which we are to reach out to. Reach out to and minister and stay with until they are restored. Reach out to and clearly speak the name of Jesus to them. The gospel and take that to the cities and villages where you have placed us now, O Lord. We ask that this would be done under the power of Jesus Christ, who is alive and resurrected and looking upon us. Amen.